Hey guys, my name is Johnny Artavanis and this is Dial In. In this episode, we will consider the cross of Christ as we approach the Easter holiday. I can't think of any subject more worthy of our consideration than the death of our Savior, Jesus. Let's dial in. The Friday before Easter, we celebrate and commemorate the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. This Christian holiday is commonly referred to as Good Friday. But the question I want to consider in this episode is, what makes Good Friday good? Well, to answer that question, we really need to ask another question, which is, why did Jesus have to die? Why is the death of Jesus Christ so important for those who identify as Christians? But Not only that, we also need to consider in this episode that if Jesus merely came to die, why didn't he just drop down from heaven on a Friday, die for us in the evening, and be back up on his heavenly throne by Sunday? So we need not only to ask the question, why did Jesus have to die? We must also ask the question, why did Jesus have to live? To answer these crucial questions, we must consider the words of Paul in his second letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 through 21. Potentially, these words are familiar to you, but as we approach the holiday in which we pay particular attention to Jesus' death and resurrection, we must receive these old truths and make them fresh upon our hearts. Without the truth contained in these words, man has no hope. We are doomed to despair and damnation. But because these words are true, we have ample reason to call the horrific day of Jesus' crucifixion a good day, a good Friday. Okay, so why did Jesus have to die? Well, let me give you three reasons in this episode. Number one, because the Father sent him to die. Paul in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 5 says, now all these things are from God. And the logical question is, what things? Paul had just said all these things are from God, so what's he talking about? Well, in verse 17, he had said the familiar words. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And then he goes on to say, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul couldn't make this any clearer. The reason Jesus came is because God the Father sent his son. This truth is nothing new, is it? The most well-known words in history state, for God so loved the world that he what? sent his one and only son. The life and death of Jesus was not plan B. It wasn't a divine audible, but the plan of God from the very beginning because the father sent his son in order that their glory might be magnified. Consider the words of Paul in Ephesians 1 verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That means this. Before God ever said, let there be light, there was an agreement between the Father and the Son that the Son would come and die for those who were chosen by God. Maybe you're unsure if you can get on board with the phrase, chosen by God. Well, then we just need to read verse 5 of Ephesians 1. It says, in love, he predestined us, that's speaking of Christians, to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. 
Jesus came and he came to die because the Father sent him. And when he came, he came on a mission from the Father. Jesus says in John's gospel, I must do the works of him who what? sent me. God the Father isn't the wrathful judge and Jesus is the compassionate Savior who pleads with the Father to have mercy on sinners. The Father is the one who sends the Son and there's an agreement amongst the Trinity. The Father sends the Son into the world to save sinners. God is not indifferent to the plight of the unbelieving. He is not an apathetic God. He is by nature a Savior. In the Old Testament, Baal is an indifferent false god. So the priest of Baal would slice and dice and cut up their bodies because they believed that when they were in agony, it would prompt the consideration of their deity. The Canaanite god Molech didn't care about you either. He demanded that you sacrifice your babies in the fire if you were going to hear from him. But the God of the Bible, he is a savior. And because he is a savior, the father sent his son. So first of all, Jesus came to die because the Father sent him to. The second reason Jesus had to die is to make it possible for our sins to be forgiven. Paul continues by explaining this in verses 18 and 19. He says, now all these things are from God, we read this, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, verse 19, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Jesus came in order that our sins could be forgiven. Do you understand that God never, ever, ever simply dismisses sin? He never says no biggie. He has never turned a blind eye quite the opposite. God is a righteous judge, it says in Psalm 7. He has an exact record of every sin ever committed, and all of our sins are before the eyes of him who sees everything and to whom we will give an account, it says in Hebrews 4. This doesn't refer to merely the explicitly sinful deeds we have done, but our constant failure to live in obedience to the first and greatest command, which is what? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, in order for our sins to be forgiven, our sins have to be removed. Our sins must be wiped out by God. This is the very thrust of the gospel, that every sin you have ever committed, past, present, and future, can be forgiven by God. Peter preaches his opening sermon in Acts 2 by saying, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? He says, For the forgiveness of your sins. Paul preaches in Ephesians 1, verse 7. We've already looked at this passage. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Are your sins as scarlet? Are they a great burden upon your soul? Well, Jesus died in order that he might make you white as snow, that he might take the crippling load of your sin and remove them as far as the east is from the west. If you desire forgiveness, the only one who can grant it to you is the offended party. You cannot forgive yourself. God must forgive you. Thankfully, Paul says in Colossians 1.14, in Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins meaning that if you ever get lost in what it means to be redeemed, Paul repeatedly clarifies by adding that redemption is the forgiveness of our sins. And if you've received that forgiveness, you can sing with the psalmist, how blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven. But how is this possible? How can your sin, how can my sin be forgiven? Well, third and finally, Jesus came to die in order that he might reconcile us to God. 
To reconcile means to bring back, to restore. As those who are born in sin, children of wrath, we have a wrecked relationship with God and we need to be reconciled to him. You need to think through this. How can God, who is a righteous judge, how can this God pardon sin? Well, he cannot simply pardon sin, right? We need to think of this another way. Pretend a man had committed the most wicked, detestable crimes you could think of. He was a terrorist, a rapist, a murderer, a thief, adulterer, and liar. If that man goes to the judge and pleads for mercy and the judge grants it, what do you now feel towards that judge? You feel indignation. How dare that judge? His job is to uphold the law, not lavish mercy on lawbreakers. And that's what we are, lawbreakers. Romans 3 says that there is not one righteous, not even one. We are all corrupt. So the big questions are, how can a dead sinner be made alive? How can a wicked sinner be forgiven? And how can an alienated sinner be reconciled? Well, Paul is going to give us the answer in verses 20 and 21 of 2 Corinthians 5. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That verse, verse 21, is well known because these 15 Greek words contain the thrust of the gospel. Maybe you're so acquainted with the word gospel that you rarely stop to consider what it is. Paul says, he, that's God, made him who knew no sin. Who's that? Well, only one answer, Jesus. And he made Jesus to be sin on our behalf. What does that mean, that God made Jesus to be sin on our behalf? Well, let's answer that by first considering what Jesus says in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you remember, Jesus says, Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. What is the cup that Jesus is referring to? Well, he's referring to the cup of God's wrath towards sin. The Old Testament sacrificial system never removed sin. It was a system in place that pointed towards a coming final and perfect lamb that would once and for all take away sin. What Jesus endured on the cross was not merely the cruel torture and crucifixion by the Romans, but the full cup of God's wrath towards sin on the cross for everyone who would ever believe for all time. And Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath down to the dregs. Oh, what comfort I find in meditating on this reality. And for you, if you're a Christian, there is not a single drop left in the cup of God's wrath towards me because I am in Christ Jesus. On the cross, God declared Jesus legally guilty of all the sin of every sinner who would ever believe. All the lies, all the murder, all the gossip, all the pornography, all the backbiting, all the deception and slander and breaking of God's righteous law. God viewed Jesus legally guilty of all my corruption and your corruption if you're in Christ and he cursed his one and only son. This is what Paul says in Galatians 3. Christ became a curse for us. The agony of the cross, yes, it was the nails, but it was the abandonment by God the Father. This is what we read in Isaiah 53 regarding the Messiah. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity and the punishment for our peace fell upon him. All of us like sheep have gone astray, but watch this. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Who's him? Jesus Christ. 
God hates sin. He abhors sin. And on the cross, he poured out not 70% of his wrath and justice, not 80%, not 90%, but 100% of his divine justice for all those who would come to him. In Romans 3.25, it says that on the cross, God displayed Jesus publicly as the propitiation for our sins. That's a big word, but you need to understand that word. Propitiation means satisfaction or appeasement of justice. And this propitiation, this satisfaction of God's wrath was public, meaning that God's justice towards sin, his wrath towards sin wasn't a private matter. It's not a secret. God's wrath is clearly seen in the most memorable event in human history, the cross of Calvary. But not only is his justice seen publicly, so is his mercy. That's why the Puritans used to say that mercy and justice kiss at the cross. The cross demonstrates not only God's great justice, but God's rich, lavish, and profound love for sinners. Now watch this. Because Jesus died as a substitute for sin, Romans 3.26 says God can be two things. He can be both a righteous and just judge and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. To justify means to declare righteous. So the question is, how can God be a righteous and just judge and declare righteous those who are guilty? Well, the answer is profound yet simple. Because on the cross, the Lamb of God stood in my place. We can look at the cross of Calvary and say, that cross was meant for me. That cup of God's wrath was reserved for me. But Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath for me. And here's what we read in Hebrews 10, 14. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. But let me ask you a question as we begin to conclude. If all we had in the gospels was the removal of our sin, could we ever stand before a holy God? What's the answer? A million times no. Hebrews 12, 14 says, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Meaning that we not only need our sins forgiven, we need something we don't have and something we can never earn. We need the righteousness of God. So now we are back at the question we asked at the beginning, that being, why did Jesus not only have to die, why did Jesus have to live? Well, simple. He had to do what we could never do. He had to live a righteous life. He had to be tempted in every way we are, yet without sin. He had to live and love the Lord, his God, with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus not only had to die for us, he had to live for us. And that's why Paul concludes chapter five saying, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that, purpose clause, we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. This is the gospel. On the cross, God viewed Jesus as if he had lived your life. And now God views you as if you had lived the perfect, spotless, and sinless life of Jesus. Do you grasp that? Right now, God views you as righteous not because of the righteousness you produce, but because of the righteousness you possess in Christ. This is why Jesus lived, and this is why he died. Now maybe you're asking, how can this reconciliation be mine? How can my sins be forgiven? How can I receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ so that God views me not in my sin and shame, but in the righteous robes of the only Savior, Jesus Christ? Well, I think you know the answer. John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever, what? Believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. 
But maybe you say, well, I know that, but how can I know for sure that Jesus' death truly satisfied the wrath of God? Well, the answer to that question is the holiday that we celebrate on Sunday. The resurrection is the final proof that God's justice was satisfied by Jesus once and for all on the cross. And that's why we sing these lyrics. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Do you believe that? I hope you do. Stay dialed in.